find where I put all my notes. If you will join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today to worship you. To, to come into the house together as brothers and sisters and to give back a portion of what you have given us. It may be through the resources that you have given us or, or through uh, life that you have given us in abundance. Lord, we have worshipped you with song and now we, we turn, to the, turn to your word so that we may see how we are to live in light of the grace that we have been so freely given. Lord, I ask that you give me your words, that you open our ears that we may hear your message, and you walk us through these scriptures that can be hard and troubling for some, and show us how they are a message of hope and a future. It's in your name we pray, amen. And so now as we turn into our, our little letter known as a revelation. If you have been following along with your scripture reading, like I hope you have, you will know from last week when we talked about the seven churches to this week when we talk about a little scroll, a lot of weird stuff has taken place. Let's be honest, we're in a book that is difficult. It's hard to read. It's hard to put in our place. Many of us will actually just not open it because of its difficulty. But in the opening prologue, we see that blessed is the one who reads and the one who hears and the one who tries to base their life on this text. When we look at the scripture, we talk about Genesis through Revelations and all the stuff in between. In Genesis, we talk about the beginning. In Revelation, we talk about the end. But what makes this so troubling to many of us is, I think, the misuse that this letter has received. It has been the focus of many well-to-do Christians who overemphasize the message that they have found in this letter. A message that may possibly be there, but it's more of their trying to answer the mystery of God. If you have to have the mystery of God answered for you in order to be a decent Christian... I hate to disappoint you, but there's a lot about God that we in our finite ability will never understand. We won't understand until we stand there face to face in glory with our redeemed bodies, a victor of this life, because we found a Savior who would deliver us from that. And so as we open our book this past week in chapter 4, we start seeing this kind of image of a heavenly throne, this giant worship service in heaven. You know, my son this past week asked me if there was a multiverse in the Bible. He's a fan of uh, the Avengers and Spider-Man and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was like, no, there, there's not. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Until I was reading this, I was like, yeah, there actually is. I told him wrong. So, John Taylor, this book is the multiverse of the Bible. And what I mean by that is it is the image of heaven, this mirror image of what's going on on earth. It is this universe that we are not privy to, but is there. 
this throne room is opened up in this mystical kind of sense, and it's all in imagery, and it's rooted in the Old Testament prophets of Ezekiel and Daniel and all of those. And, and it paints a picture of simultaneous action of a throne room in heaven as what takes place on earth. And he has these little strange creatures flying around with eyes and wings and all this kind of stuff that is hard to understand in our modern sensibility. I mean, be honest, when we were reading this, it's just tough to read. We're like, this is fantasy. This is, uh, this is difficult. Had a pastor friend on Facebook, he had posted that his church was going through this, and he actually encouraged his congregation as they read through this letter to, to draw what they are reading. Because these are vivid word pictures of what's going on. And he shared one. I think Ali uh, draws a little bit better than he does, but he was trying to depict what he was reading here. And so when these strange images come to mind, how do we attempt to apply that to our daily life? And that's really what we have come to this letter is, how do we take the message of Revelations and apply it to our daily life as Christians in 2019 in Floyd Ada, Texas, getting ready for another year of harvest? How does it make a difference, these strange images? Well, it ought to. But see, I think one thing is we try to come at it from the wrong direction. For what God has revealed in this letter, revealed to John, that revealed to the seven churches, these actual places rooted in history, is also a message for us today. They're difficult to understand because God's mystery is difficult for us to understand. But they paint a picture of something far greater than we can ever imagine. That God is intimately involved with creation around us. He's not this clockmaker who set the world into motion and has stepped away. But is vividly involved in our daily lives. As we open up these letters, we see that John is sitting there in this giant worship service with all these weird creatures in a throne room that has this crystal glass floor where what heaven can see, what's going on in earth, and all this kind of imagery. And he's trying to figure it out, but he sees that there's this scroll. Now this is the, the answer. This is how God's kingdom will fully break into earth. Because if we look at the story of the gospel, the story of the incarnation, the story of Jesus, that is God's kingdom in breaking into our world. The book of Revelation is its completion. It is when heaven becomes down to earth and makes everything right. And that is what is depicted in this scroll with its seven seals. This is the answer to the plight of humanity. This is the answer to death. This is the answer to the pain of sin. This is the answer to corruption, to rot, and all this. This is the ultimate answer that we have all longed for because this makes everything right. Sealed with its seven seals. The numbers are symbolic. We see seven all throughout this letter. Why is six not the number? It's one less than seven. And so when we look at the mark of the beast, it's 666, not 777. That's Jesus' mark. And some of you are lucky number in Vegas, right? 6 is not quite whole. And I want you to think about that as we look at this. 7 is the mark of completion, the mark of wholeness. 
What does this world have to offer in its political might? A six at best. It can't get past a six because it doesn't matter what political system you follow, whether it's democracy, whether it's the monarch, whether it's whatever else may come and take its place in years from now. Socialism does not make it. You know, we can get into political arguments. You may be Democrat, you may be Republican, you may be independent, you may just be tired of it all. But even the best political systems cannot solve the problems of human frailty and evil in this world. Because how do you rule? You can rule through fear, intimidation. You can rule through love. It's not very plausible, it seems like, these days. But there's a lot of different methods on how you rule. But from a humanity standpoint, how many of those have lasted? None. These great kingdoms of the ancient world had full dominance, it seemed like. But there was built on a shaky foundation. And as the threads were pulled loose, eventually those kingdoms crumbled. And we can study about them in science, in, in, in books and things like that. And we can see what great things that they did and where they had failed. And then we can try to apply the good stuff that these ancient kingdoms did and avoid the troubles that they ran into. But over and over again, we seem to get it wrong. Democracy works best when everybody seeks the advantage of the whole. But when democracy tends towards the advantage of the majority or the advantage of the singular without reflection on the other, it te tends to, to fail. It's what our country's going through now. We, we, we are not going through a place of, of great times. You, you turn on the news, if you turn on a political broadcast, on, depending on what news network you look at, they're, they're showing the, the gotcha moments of the day. Look how they're, they're now going to go to jail on what just happened. And then you turn on a, a broadcast on an opposing network, and it's just like, look, they've just been vindicated. I was like, that is the same piece of information. How can one send them to jail and one vindicate them? People want to see what they want to see because they only see what they want because they put I above all others. That is the problem that we look at. But that's not the problems that we have here in this book. Here we see the mystery of God being revealed to John. We don't understand it because it is too cosmically greater than us. It is the, the scenes of heaven taking place now in the here and now in the presence. John has been whisked away in the spirit and is seeing these firsthand. How do you put pen to paper and describe it? You can't. But then we go back to that throne room. And there's this image of this scroll with the seven seals. This answer to all. And it's the time has come for the seals to be broken. And a message comes out. Who is worthy to open this? And then John starts to weep bitterly. Because no one was found worthy. No king was strong enough in all of history's past to come and to reveal this message until this one steps forward in the image of a slain lamb. That's right. 
the victor in the book of Revelations is a slain lamb. So a lamb walking around with a cut throat, whatever you want to picture this as, this is a lamb that has been sacrificed on the altar. This is Jesus Christ. And then we start opening the seals. If you haven't read it in a while, I really say go back and read it because if you want to know where the four horsemen of the apocalypse comes from, it comes from the first four seals. They're opening it. The rider on the white horse. It's conquest. War. You know, maybe you grew up watching the, these westerns and the rider on the white horse was the good guy and the guy on the black horse was the bad guy. In Revelations, he's conquest. He's war. He's not the image of the good person. He is the image of God's wrath. And that's why we don't like it, because it talks about wrath. And then we open up the, the, next three scroll, the next three seals, and we see that the fiery horse comes out to remove peace from the land. The black horse comes out with a set of scales that represents famine. And then a pale horse comes with death, and Hades is close on his tail. These are the things that popular culture still brings back into place. You can look at Hollywood blockbusters and see how these images of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it described some of our political leaders as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, or horsewomen, I think they said. And you can figure out who they're talking about. But it goes on and opens, and, and we're trying to figure out all these things. But then there's an interesting part around chapter 7 uh, that says, uh, John heard a number being called out, and there's this census being taken for this holy armor, this holy uh, army to come out and to do battle with evil. It's the 144 that will be sealed. The 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, and go on and on and on it goes. And he heard this census for a battle to become up. And so now I'm picturing those disciples when they were young. They were seeing Jesus come and to heal the sick and to preach the way he did and to do all these things. And they thought that Jesus was the one who was going to be the, from the line of David to be the king on the throne in Jerusalem to set the world right again. He was going to be the conqueror. But that is not what the disciples got. They got a slain lamb. And the slain lamb who is calling forth for this census to be taken place. And, and John turns and he looks. And what did he see? Did he see this army of this 144 ready to do battle with the evil of the world? No! He saw a great multitude from every tribe and every language coming forth and so sometimes what we hear is not what we see in this letter what we hear we hear about the wrath and the pain and all of this that is being inflicted on the earth where partial a third of this was taken a third of this was done and then we hear the trumpet blast and more and more come out and this pain is being brought down on the earth Natural disasters are, are killing thousands. And we look. And if you step back and think about this letter, this wrath that we see poured out, is it really any different than any other point of human history? Think about it. 
Because we're in a world where heaven and earth are separated. But heaven is intimately involved in the day-to-day lives that's taken place on the earth, but yet we can't see it fully. Let me ask you, do you see conquering armies today? Do you see those who would attack others that are weaker to take things from them and the resources that they have? Yes, yes you do. Do you see famine breaking out on parts of our planet? Yes, yes you do. We have done things with agriculture that helps prevent some of this. We have done things to how we uh, process wheat and things like that so it's shelf stable for years and we can get supplies to other nations when they're having famine, but we have not yet fixed all the supply chain problem. So yes, we see famine. Do we see people at war with each other where peace has been removed? Yes, yes we do. Go to Capitol Hill if you don't believe me. Do we see people taking advantage of people? Yes. Yes, we do. Do we see earthquakes? Do we see tsunamis? We haven't quite got the fire and brimstone coming down yet, but we have hurricanes and tornadoes. If you ever lived through one of those, it might be pretty close. How would you describe it? And so when we talk about the wrath that is being inflicted, we also see that it does not bring the people of this world to repentance. When I taught this book uh, in our Wednesday night group uh, several months ago, we started looking at this, and I started asking about this section where we see these natural disasters come down. And I said, how does the world respond to it? Do they see that this is being promised by God and to repent and return to where you have strayed? No, they talk about climate change, global warming. You can justify it through scientific terms. It does not draw the people back to God. So how does it change us today? These things that are taking place. Well, a sixth angel blew his trumpet. And then in chapter 9, verse 20, it tells us this, The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor gave up worshiping the demons and the idols of gold and silver and bronze and and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murder, of their sorcery, or their sexual immorality, or their thebs. Thebs. You know what I'm saying. And then we have an interlude. Halfway through this letter, in chapter 10, It says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillar of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, And the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, who created the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. The day of the Lord is at hand in this scene. 
Christ's second coming is at hand in this scene. Everything is being made right in this scene. But the days of the trumpets called to the sounding of the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants and the prophets. The prophecies of old are coming to pass in this one. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. Eat it. Uh, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy that many peoples and nation and language and kings. And so John is commanded in the, the manner of their Old Testament prophets, especially that of Ezekiel chapter 3, to take this scroll and eat it. It is sweet in his mouth but bitter in his stomach. This is a day of judgment. In the next few chapters from now, as you read through the scripture, you will see two witnesses stepping forth to proclaim God's justice. They are murdered. Their bodies are lifeless in the street, just trampled on, ignored, laughed at, made fun of. But they are vindicated. God raises them back to life. And that will bring some of the nations to repentance. Now, if you look to the scriptures and you want justice done, you will have to admit that justice isn't really what we want, is it? Because it calls to the account the deepest, darkest parts of us, and it will be brought out to the surface. And for some, it is about vindication because they stayed true to the gospel no matter what it cost them. Those were those churches that John was to write to that faced persecution and endured them. But then there was those churches that were affluent, that had everything they, they needed, and they began to start thinking that, I did this, I earned this. And they lost the love that they had in the beginning when they had to work to get the church off the ground. But it was bitter in his stomach. That's how it is. John was called to be a prophet. He was called to something far greater than him. He was called to be the spokesman of God. But that calling in his life was not one that would be easy. He was already on the Isle of Patmos in exile. But yet he was called to give a message that would trouble those for years to come. And can you blame him? He's talking about the mysteries being revealed. He's talking about wrath. He is talking about a cleansing. Because that is really what the story of Revelation is about. It is about the cleansing of this world so heaven can fully come down. Our God is a holy God. And a holy God cannot live with an unholy people. 
It can't live with an apathetic people. It can't live with those who would do what was right in their own eyes. And so there must first take place a cleansing. And that is what's taken place in this wrath. But in this cleansing, we see that as the seals are opened up, those prayers of the martyrs are being heard. And so depending on where you're at in life, if you are the one who is being victimized by this world because of who you believe in, you will be made right. If you are the one who is ignoring your calling, that will be made right as well. And so as we look at this letter, and as we see in the symbolism here, and we're trying to understand how to base our life on its teachings, well, I can tell you two things. The one in our mind that we look for, the great king and conqueror to come and make everything right, is not what we will see. But we will see a slain lamb who, through sacrificing himself, gains a great multitude from every tribe, every language, and every peoples of this earth. When we look to see an army marching in to do battle for us, that is what will take place. But that is not what we will see. For what we want to see is not necessarily what we heard. I know this may sound complicated, and sometimes I don't know if I fully get it, and I really don't think I do. But I do know this. The one who perseveres to the end, they will receive that crown. They will receive that glory. Because what we see in this letter is heaven being revealed to all of the world. To everyone. Our enemies. And those who endure. Now if you are looking for the rapture. And where we get to escape all of this. Guess what. I don't find it in the way the movies portray it. I really don't. There's a thing about the millennial that we'll get into. But that's next week. All this kind of thing. But from what I can tell is that some of us will be here when this starts. And if I look at the news, I think we're already there. We are living through this time of tribulation already. And it began to take place when Jesus came and was crucified. But as I read the story, I see that those who have found faith in the Lamb have already been justified and have already been raptured out of this world because we are now fully redeemed. We are redeemed people walking in a dark place. And we have been created for a purpose. It is not to be a political force as the world would see it because we serve the political king of kings, the kingdom of the eternal heaven, of eternal life. Of what comes next. And so as we see John today. Eat the scroll that tastes sweet. As these words of scripture are sweet. And as we hear them we can reflect. And that we can feel good about ourselves. But the more and more that we read these scriptures. The more and more the challenge it becomes. Because it calls us to give up our ambitions. To give up our wants. And to place the yoke of Jesus Christ on our backs. And to follow him where he would lead us. Whether it's to the dark places of this world. 
or whether it is to the dark places of our workplace. For if we follow Jesus Christ as we truly should follow him, it is no easy task in the eyes of this world. But we follow him as a redeemed people so that we may truly shine because it is Jesus Christ who lives in us, who is calling to the world this message of repentance, this message of salvation, this message of grace. But to those of this world, most people will see the pain and the anguish and the wrath all around them, and they will point to some other factor. And they won't repent, and they won't turn back. They won't turn back until the the blood of the saints is spilt on the street. And in love that we give up our lives so that they may live. That is the message of Revelations. Are you willing to give up your life for an enemy? Because that's what it calls us to do. So let's pray together. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the challenge of this letter, of this apocalypse, of this revelation. Lord, teach us how to be those who are willing to share our lives with this world so that they may find the grace that we have found through your life. Give us the strength that we need to be your followers to be part of that great multitude and join others of the different peoples of the different language that you have created. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have decided to follow Jesus and you're ready to let the world know about it, please come forward. If you're in need of prayer, please come forward. Or if you're just ready to join us as a member of this church, come forward at this time.